Okay, so we're starting a new sermon series, and it's been my favorite so far. I love this graphic for it. I just think, and I'll get to the significance of it, but I, I love this graphic. That's a side note. <laughs> we're going to talk about the Trinity today. We're going to start with the foundation of the Trinity because I want us to narrow in on God the Holy Spirit and how He works. Because it's so important that we understand this. We were having house church last week, um, actually two weeks ago, and all of a sudden we were meeting about something totally different and it opened up for questions, and everyone had a question about how the Holy Spirit works. The people in here have questions about how the Holy Spirit works in here? How many people have questions about tongues? How many people have questions about healings? How many have questions about what this whole slain in the Spirit thing is? How many were like, what is going on. I need to know more, and I want it from the Bible. I don't want a man's opinion, right? Don't give me another man's opinion. Tell me what the scriptures say about all these things when it comes to God, the Holy Spirit. We want to know about what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? Are there some people that are just baptized, and some people are spirit-filled, but some people believe and they don't have? Let's talk through all those things so we can find clarity and maturity and grow as a people of God. This is so foundational to your faith. So we need to start with the Trinity for you to understand the Godhead, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, so we can narrow it down that God the Holy Spirit is a person and see how he works, he acts, and who he is in your life. And we're going to break that all down. This has been, as a dad, this has been one of my toughest things to teach my daughter. Anyone try to tell the kids it's three but it's one? Come on, just believe. It's tough. This is mysterious, and I want to start here. When we're talking about the Trinity, I'm like, be honest, I'm like 99% understand the Trinity. But there's 1% to me is mystery. Some of you, it might be 90%. Some of you, it might be 80%. Some of you, it might be 20%. But what we want to do is understand, listen, there's a lot of mystery wrapped up in the Trinity and understand that God is three, but he's one. But we understand this truth because the Bible speaks it and reveals it. People didn't speculate and say, God must be three but one. You see, from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end, that God is revealing himself as being one in essence, yet three in person. And so we want to let that rest. You know, you see from the first verse in Genesis, if you look in the Hebrew, it said, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. That word is Elohim. It's Plural, yet it's singular. And then in Genesis 1.26, we're going to read this verse. If you guys will pop it up there for you. And I want you to see if you see anything distinct here. Or something that stands out to you. It said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. What's the thing that you see in that scripture? are right that's big there that god is three in person yet he's one in essence the reason this is going to be so helpful to your faith because it will even help you understand how you are made because god has always existed in perfect community yet he is one god in essence it will help you understand why you long for community why you long to be known and long to know that's all because you're made in the image of God who always in, was already in community. Therefore, he made you to long 
for community. He made you to have personal relationships. You know, there's this feeling, right? We see that 100% of communities here on earth aren't perfect, and it bothers us, doesn't it? Like this family isn't perfect, this church isn't perfect, this town isn't perfect. There's a longing in us for the perfect community, and that perfect community on this side of heaven is only found in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, who are three, yet they are one. So this is going to be the first time in a sermon series, this is going to be like an introduction message, where I'm going to really lay out some foundational theological principles, so you guys can get ready for the next few months to grow in your understanding of God the Holy Spirit. So we both want to grow in knowledge. Why do we grow, want to grow in knowledge? Not so we say, you know what I know. That's not it. It's to understand. To understand so we can love better. When you get to know people in your life, you love them better. If you're in a marriage and you get to know that person, you learn to love them better. When they reveal more and more things to you, you get more intimate. The relationship comes stronger and deeper and nothing can penetrate that relationship. I want you guys to understand that as you understand God the Holy Spirit more, you will understand the foundational principles that will make you grow in Christ. So when the storms of life come, when confusion comes, when uh, every wind of doctrine comes, you're not blown all over the place. And this is what Scripture should do. So, it's going to be more of a lecture today. You guys are used to me preaching and throwing down. I'm going to preach. But I want us to think with our minds today so it sinks in to our souls. So do you know it doesn't say the Trinity in the Bible? Does everyone know that? That was a phrase that was used in 155, from anywhere from 155 to 220 AD by a, a leading church father named Tertullian. He saw that throughout all the scriptures, it was explaining, even from verse 2 you see God the Holy Spirit. It said God, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. You see that every person of the Trinity was part of creation. And you go all the way through. What happens when Jesus is baptized? You see the whole trinity there, right? The Father speaks from heaven. The Spirit of God descends like a dove. And the Son is being baptized. You see the trinity there. What does Jesus say when he says to baptize people? Go through all the world. Baptize them in what? The name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And you see that all through. I'm just using a few scriptures. This is to show that each member of the Trinity is one in essence, yet they're all fully God, all have the attributes of God, and all are God. Now, I'm going to use some of the stuff I'm preaching today. I want to make sure I'm not plagiarizing up here. I got some good information from a blog by John Piper. I read some book in the Doctrine from Mark Driscoll, and I also read a lot of Wayne Grudem stuff. So you guys don't think I'm smarter than I am. But this is a good definition from John Piper, and I want us to really think through this. Because some of us can give a simple answer when they ask them, what do you mean Trinity? You would say, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, work with it. But what if they really said, explain that to me, unpack that to me. What does that mean? I think John Piper did a, a decent job here. It says the doctrine of the Trinity means that there is one God, and hear that, who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Stated differently, and I want you to hear this because this really helps me. God is one in essence and three in persons. These definitions express three crucial truths. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. Each person is fully God, and there is only one God. Welcome to the mystery. Welcome to the mystery. This word essence helped me, though. 
that God is one in essence. And help me think through this and just, just hear this. The definition in the Webster Dictionary is that essence is the basic nature of thing, the quality or qualities that make a thing what it is. Furthermore, essence is what you are. It's the stuff you made of, are made out of. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are made out of the same stuff. They are one in substance, one in nature, one as God. Yet, they exist mysteriously as three persons. And so we'll get to what that doesn't mean. And you guys see the mystery here because you're starting already, everyone's trying to grab what is going on here. But start, you will start learning more as you hear the scriptures. And it's an awesome thing. So let me explain one in essence to you a little more. It means that they all are fully God. So not three pieces of pie. So some people say, oh, well, they're three pieces of a pie and you put them together in training. No, they're all the whole pie. They're all fully God. Each person of the Trinity in Scripture, it states that they are clearly God. And I'll just give three to you here. In Philippians 1, 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father. That's the easiest one for people to get. Heavenly Father, God is Father. We get that, right? Let's go. When it talks about God the Son, Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do they call? They call Jesus God and Savior there. Jesus was crucified because he said he was God. This is so important for people to say, I like Jesus. I like what he taught. He was a good man. He was crucified because he said, I am. I am God. And they said, you're blasphemous. How dare you who are walking the earth call yourself God? And they crucified him. They didn't crucify him because he did nice people did nice things and said be nice to people they crucified him because he said he was God and he was God the Holy Spirit is referred to as God because he is God and this is what we're going to narrow in on as we go through the message in Acts 5 3 through 4 it says but Peter said Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself the part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. So what they say, they said you lied to the Holy Spirit, and by lying to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. Don't be lying about your money. That was a scary situation. He said, don't lie to the Holy Spirit, because if so, you'll be lying to God. What do we see there? We see that God is the Holy Spirit, that God is the Son, and that God is the Father, and they're three in one. I'm rhyming up here now. All fully God, not part of God that all fit together. They're all fully God, yet they express themselves in three persons. And we'll get to the person and understand the definition of person here. But I want to talk about some heresies first, some bad understandings of the Trinity. Modalism, it's called. Modalism is that God just manifested or shows himself in different ways. So he's God, he showed himself as God the Father. And then when he was on earth, he showed himself as God the Son. And then when God the Son ascended, then he showed himself as God the Holy Spirit. He didn't morph into different people. It wasn't God in different manifestations. It was God in three persons. So that was a heresy at the beginning of the church. People say it was the same God. He's just showing himself and revealing himself in different ways. No, three distinct persons. Do you guys hear that? There's another heresy called Arianism. This was where people couldn't get their mind around the fact that Jesus was God. 
They said, how can he be God? He's human, right? And the hypostatic union says that God is, Jesus is fully God and fully man. So they started with this heresy. You know all those Jehovah Witnesses knocking on your door and you're like, what's going you know? They believe in a form of Arianism. They believe not that Jesus, they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe that Jesus is eternal, omniscient, omnipotent. They don't believe he is God in the way that he was never created. They believe that Jesus was the first created being. They believe Jesus was created and lifted up, but not part of the second person of the Trinity. You see how heretical that can be in Scripture. I just want you guys, we're learning, we're growing, we're understanding why we stand where we stand. The third heresy, there was many of them, but these are major ones, was subordinationism. This means that people would, instead of understanding that the Godhead, the Trinity, all fully God and all fully equal, they said God the Father is up here and God the Son and the Holy Spirit down, are subordinate to God the Father. They were diminishing the community of the Trinity. And it was taken away from the divinity of both God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so we're starting to unpack. These are things that the Trinity aren't in a heretical. God is one in essence, yet he reveals himself in three persons. And God, the Holy Spirit, is God. You know, because I was born in 1978. This means a few things. Among one of them, it means Star Wars just came out on VHS. And I'm talking, you remember the VCR, come on now. You'd be watching a movie, you come out, you got to re-roll the thing, put it back in. You got the traction, try to fix the thing. I love, I miss going to the, who misses going to Blockbuster? I mean, come on, I loved going just two hours. I don't know what I want to see, what are we going to see? You know, and you get the movie and watch it. But Star Wars just came out when I was a kid. And even through the early 80s, you watched Star Wars. And I remember watching, man, I wanted to be a Jedi and I like Princess Leia. Those are the things I knew in my life. And what was everyone saying to each other when Star Wars hit? Originally, may the force be with you. And people were just like, they were all spiritual. It's like a religion. It gets scary, Star Wars. I enjoy the movies, but people, I don't want to go too far in just case someone dresses up in here. But it's getting carried away. People are getting carried away. This is a movie, guys. This ain't real. But everyone started saying, may the force be with you. What has hurt us is sometimes we build our theology from the movies. Some of you watch more movies and are like, man, I know what I'm talking about. I know Jim Caviezel is Jesus. Like, we think we know. We get our theology from movies. I think movies are good. I thought passion was top-notch, but it's not the scriptures. And what happens is people started relating the force to God without even knowing subconsciously. Like, may the force be with you. That's kind of like God, right? That's nothing like God. That's nothing like God. That's why people always say, I feel the energy. What energy? What are you talking about? I'm feeling good vibes. I get the vibes. God isn't vibes. God isn't good energy. That's foolish talk. Stop watching so many movies. God is a person, not a force. God is a person, not a force. Don't be that person that calls the baby in it. You know that guy? How's it doing? What do you mean? This is my baby. That's a person. Stop calling God a force and God matter and God energy and God vibes. He is a person. God, the Holy Spirit, is a person. And let me explain another good definition from John Piper because we need to understand 
not person like we understand a human person, because a, a human person would understand that as individual and independent. But in this way, the personhood of each member of the Trinity means that each person has a distinct center of consciousness, thus they relate to each other personally. Do you know inside the Godhead, that each being person, they relate to each other like I and you, which makes you a distinct person. God the Son is praying to God the Father. I am praying to you, God the Father. God the Son is saying, I'm spending God the Holy Spirit, who is a distinct person, who has a distinct center of consciousness, who feels, who acts, who reveals, who knows. That's what a person does, right? How, why can we relate to each other? Because we can reveal together, we can talk to each other, we can feel, we can know, all those kind of things. Do you know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit because he's a person? Some of you, when you sin, actually all of us at some stage in our life, because we are in relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, who is a person, and we do something sinful with our bodies, we feel that grief. We feel like something's wrong. Do you know why? Because you, you have grieved God, the Holy Spirit, who resides inside of you as the temple, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So when you act in sinful ways, you feel it. Just like in a relationship, when you say something hurtful to someone and you hurt them, what do you do? You feel horrible. You're like, man, I hurt them. I feel horrible. I need to uh, repent. I I shouldn't act like that because that grieves that relationship. It's the same way because God, the Holy Spirit, is a person. When we, as followers of Jesus, do those things, we feel that grief because we're connected to God, the Holy Spirit. Do you guys hear that? Because God, the Holy Spirit, is a person. This revolutionized my life. This is the difference between religion and relationship that we're all longing for, right? Sometimes religion can be that it, right? Well, I'm going to it. (laughs) I'm going to do it. But when you know, no, I'm going to worship a God I know, a God who lives inside of me, a God who moves and acts and feels and speaks to me, it's a different game. It doesn't matter about buildings. It doesn't matter about systems. It matters about relationship and God's children, those who know God, those who worship him and those who share his gospel. That person makes that relationship that changes the whole game. God the Holy Spirit is a person. This revolutionized my life. When I was 19 years old, I told you many times, but the big thing that happened was I was ready for religion, right? I wasn't ready for God, the Holy Spirit, residing inside of me and changing my affection and convicting me and causing me to worship and putting me on mission and changing the way I looked and even viewed the world. I wasn't ready for that kind of relationship, but it was the best thing that ever happened to me. All of a sudden, God's speaking in a still small voice to your heart. This isn't for you, or this is for you, or I'm with you, or it's going to be okay, or go, you know, moving you and giving clarity to your life. It's unbelievable that God the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. Amen? And you got all bear witness because it says God the Holy Spirit bears witness in your soul that you are children of God. That's the work of God the Holy Spirit. You know, and this is what we're trying to narrow down this sermon series to here, is the function of God the Holy Spirit, the person, and how he works in you, for you, and through you. I thought Charles Stanley gave a great analogy on the function of the Godhead or the Trinity. He said, God the Father, he's the one who made the plan, right? God the Father made the plan. He said, we're going to fix what's broken here. We're going to make all things, we're going to work all things for the glory of God to restore, to save for new heavens, new earth. He implemented the plan of redemption and restoration. No, he planned it. God the Father planned it. God the Son implemented it. 
I mean, here's the plan. God the Son willingly, not like you've got to go. The Father planned it. The Son willingly came to earth to die for our sins. He implemented the plan to save that which was broken. He had to live. Now, this was a tough plan to implement. He had to live fully God and fully man, among temptation, among beating, among persecution, and not sin, an attitude, thought, or action. That was the first thing. Everyone say, the cross was so hard, but live 33 years sinless. You won't live this Sunday afternoon sinless, especially if the Broncos win the Super Bowl. 33 years. You understand how hard it is to implement a plan like that? Some of us have trouble implementing basic plans in our life. Our wife sends us to the store, go get this, this, and this. We're always missing something. We don't know how to implement plans. <laughs> a few wives are like, you know, pastor said you better remember. God the Son comes and he implements the gospel. He dies, he rises again, he, ascended, he ascends. Now this is the part I want to focus in on. God the Holy Spirit is the administer of the plan. He administers the plan. Now hear this. I'll use the example of Joe Vec when he was sick. A team of doctors got together. They made a plan. They said he has Crohn's disease. We've got to take part of his intestine out. That's the plan. You get a certain doctor, right? That doctor has to implement the surgery. He implements the surgery. They take the bad part of the intestine out. They put them back together. Joe Vec does not get up and say, okay, let's do this. The nurse has to come in and administer the things so he can get healthy and live a whole life and live for the glory of God. That's the Holy Spirit. He's administering strength to us. He's administering mission to us, clarity to us, comfort to us. Does that make sense to you guys? That's the work of God, the Holy Spirit. He's administering the plan of redemption. He's working in us to make us witnesses. He's working in us to pick us up when we fall down. He's working in us to reveal truth. He's working in us to convict us of sin. He's working in us so we never lose our salvation and we endure to the end. That's the work of God, the Holy Spirit. And this is the introduction I'm going to lay down. Over the next three months, we're going to talk about how he works in specific ways in our life. God, the Holy Spirit, who is fully God, yet is a distinct person, who is God, yet works in our lives, for our lives, and through our lives. And I want to just talk quickly, because it's an introduction, the things that we're going to be covering so you can be praying and thinking through these things. And he may be even looking in Scripture what they say about these things. We're going to talk about how God helps us. Can everyone give a big amen? We need help in life. <laughs> That's a big amen. That's the most amens we ever gotten here. We need help. Another amen. We need comfort. Life is tough. I don't care who you are. I don't think how well you think. I don't care how good you, you, your life seems. There's times when you're so broken and you need the comfort of God, the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about how he's comforted. We're going to talk how he convicts us. Because some of us are just trying to shake off conviction. Like, no, man, I ain't thinking right. And God the Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin that you need to repent of and be washed clean from that sin and wash, walk in a newness of life. So we'll talk about what it means to be sanctified and how the Holy Spirit convicts us and we grieve him and we should repent of our sin. We're going to talk about how God the Holy Spirit baptizes us, how he reveals to us. How do you hear from God? Because a lot of people claim to hear from God and it gets funny out there, no? I heard from God. The world's going to end. Send me all the money. And then the world's still going. You get up Monday morning like, I thought this thing was going to be done. 
How do you hear from God the Holy Spirit? We'll get very specific, specific on that when it talks about the Bible and hearing the voice of God. How God heals us. How many people have felt inadequate or condemned because you prayed for someone and they haven't been healed and you felt like there's something wrong with your faith or your relationship with God? Let's remedy that through Scripture because there's a lot of unhealthy preaching out there about healing that is keeping the people of God down that is not lifting them up. Let's talk about how God the Holy Spirit works with healing. Let's talk about how God gifts us, the gifts that God the Holy Spirit has given you for the mission. Let's talk about tongues, right? That's always a hot topic. What is the gift of tongues? What does that look like? Is it still for today? If so, how is it used? Let's talk in clarity from the scriptures about that. Let's talk about, can you lose your salvation? Is God going to leave you? Are you going to finally do that sin this week where God the Holy Spirit leaves you? I'll tell you right now, he's not going to leave you. You'll know when I preach it. He seals you unto the day of redemption. We'll talk about how God the Holy Spirit seals you. We're going to talk about prophecy. That's another one. If anyone had anyone prophesy you in your life, is prophecy still for today? What does prophecy look? How is there accountability? What does that look like in the scriptures? We'll talk about, what about apostles? Are there apostles today? I love this stuff. Are there apostles today? We're going to answer that question in one of these sermon series. That God the Holy Spirit still gives us apostles. And we'll finally talk about how God the Holy Spirit makes us witnesses. And also talk about a subject that many of us are scared of. Have you blasphemed the Holy Spirit? Have you committed the unforgivable sin? Doesn't that scare the heck out of you? You haven't. <laughs> I'll say first and foremost, you haven't. But we'll bring clarity to that. What it means with blaspheming the Holy Spirit and how we can live with the truth of the gospel and still revere God the Holy Spirit. Are we excited about this? It's going to be a great sermon series. So my hope as a pastor is that as we walk through the sermon series, we come out the other end and we know God deeper, know God the Holy Spirit deeper, that we walk more clearly in our gifts, that we respond better, that God the Holy Spirit is a person, that we grow in relationship as a people and individually, all to the glory of God and all for the joy that God gives us. Let's pray.